1: Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a podcast for comedy creators of any variety. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. I'm so glad to have you here. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, thank you so much for checking me out. You're going to enjoy this episode. It's a fun one. I have the incomparable Erica Rhodes on. And if this is your first time listening, you can check out old episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can go to thereitispod.com and find out about old episodes and read old blogs. So in today's episode, as I mentioned, I have Erica Rhodes, and she's really impressive and fantastic. She has done a ton of things. I came to know her as a stand-up comedian But she also did a lot of work on Prairie Home Companion. So she is a very experienced and and great performer. And we talk about all of that and everything in between. It's a really good chat. And I can't wait for you to hear it. So I'm just going to stop talking and let you get right to it. Here's my chat with Erica Rhodes. Erica, I know uh, from having done really great research on you that you were involved with Prairie Home Companion. (laughs)
0: Wow, you really did your homework.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you were involved with that as a as a as a youngin. You you started that at around ten years old, right?
0: Yes, I uh, yeah, I started on yeah. Um, I played Garrison Keillor's conscience, so the first time I ever was on the show, I was I was telling him like, you need to call your mother and you need to. (laughs) <laughs> do you know your income tax return and <laughs> things like that so um and then I, and then ever since then i've been on the show you know as a guest my whole life and i got to act with meryl streep on it and martin sheen mm. and all sorts of really great people
1: yeah a lot of phenomenal people that that uh you i guess absorbed a lot of information from when you got to perform with them
0: yeah i think so <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a really great learning experience.
0: Yeah, it was. And um, after a while, Garrison Keillor, you know, he's the main guy. Um, mm-hmm. Although he is retired now, he's not on the show anymore. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, he's a real mentor of mine because he, he had me performing for a long time, but then he started to have me write. And, he, and at one point he's like, I think you're a writer. And and uh, he had me start writing my own scripts for the show and, uh, and. and I think he really influenced, you know, my wine to get into standup eventually. Cause at one point he was like, I think you should do a one woman show. And I was like, what? Now I'm not doing a one woman show? Why did you
1: have an aversion to a one woman show?
0: I don't, I don't know. I just didn't, I, I guess I don't like one woman shows in general. Like mm-hmm. I'm kind of like the kind of, unless it's like a really fascinating story or the person's really good at playing different characters, like, I don't know. I think it's a really hard thing to pull off. Not that I'm against it, just that like my first reaction would be like, What no? (laughs) Right. But um but stand up's basically a one woman show, you know? Mm -hmm.
1: Well that's really cool that he saw that potential in you and then made the effort to encourage you in that.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was really it was really cool. And uh sometimes I felt like he gave me assignments just for the heck hell of it. Like he would just (laughs) be like Oh, why don't you write a script about, you know, Santa, you know, for it was for like a Christmas script or something, but then he wouldn't use it. And I'd sometimes be like, I think he's just giving me an assignment for the sake of the assignment, (laughs) like I'm in college or something.
1: Right. Uh, I think it's pretty funny when we were off air, you had mentioned uh, that you hate the term wholesome, but yet you were saying you have kind of a wholesome background. And just a second ago, (laughs) yeah. And then just a second ago, you said, Heck, and you—you you corrected yourself to hell, which is not like hell is that strong of a term either.
0: That's so true. I don't know why, but a heck sounds so nerdy, and I don't think I say heck either. I don't know why I was
1: going. To... Oh, that's hilarious! So
0: like, that is really funny. I corrected myself into a swear.
1: <laughs> oh, that's great! Uh, so you yeah. act and you do stand up. You've been doing stand up for. Un, just under five years.
0: Yes, four and a half.
1: And you've made a lot of traction in that, and I imagine that's because of all the stage experience and learning experience and uh, and writing experience that you're having uh, as a youngin over at a uh, Prairie Home Companion. When did he start having you know, asking you to write? By the way.
0: Um, probably like five years ago. Mm-hmm. He started oh. Write things.
1: So, you were working Um, with really great material, really well written stuff, because that's one of the great things about Prairie Home Companion is just the really great rhythm that it finds and, and writes itself into. And then you had experience getting to write in that system. So, when you started, you didn't have a lot of the issues that maybe a stand up normally would have, like having to just figure out what a joke is and then also learning how to be a stage performer. You had a lot of that stuff already in the bag.
0: Yeah. I also have a really good manager and my manager had signed me as an actress, but then he was very uh, supportive of my, uh, you know, transitioning into a standup. Um, mm-hmm. And he basically like kind of coached me in the beginning about just structure, you know, just like the technical stuff of joke writing. Cause I hadn't really, Thought about joke writing before that, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, so he he helped a lot. Um, Bruce Smith. He he also reps Maria Bamford and um, Andy Kindler and lots of great comics. So you know, he he has a good ear for it. Even though he's not a comic, he has a good uh, sensibility. And also, he he really veered me away from a lot of bad habits in the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. like trying to go dirty for the sake of being dirty, or oh, yeah, you know he had a lot of really good, um, good pointers in avoiding traps in the beginning that a lot of standups, I think like take the first three years, like just falling into traps.
1: Wow. It sounds like you've had a really good encouraging system around you and atmosphere to be in.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's definitely not been smooth sailing, you know, all the time. I, uh, I'd say that the acting was just very frustrating when I was just trying to be an actress, and now I'm now I look at actors and I'm just like, how why would anyone want to be? Why would anyone just try to be an actor? Like it's almost it almost doesn't even seem like a job to me because I'm just like it's not there's nothing in it that's in your control at all. Like it's just right. completely, like, you know what? And all these you know actors that they'll go to coaching sessions and they'll put so much money into it, and it's just like this sad sort of black hole of a
1: career path. <laughs> you know, honestly, and, uh, I mean, I I am an actor and stand-up and improviser, and I've been acting longer than I've been doing stand-up or improv, and I'm totally with you. It is something where I feel like, <laughs> I mean, I, I love acting. I want to do it. I want to be in films or TV shows, but at the same time, as my main source of income, no thanks. It's, there are too many... Yeah weird things that you have to jump through like hurdles you have to jump over or hoops you have to jump through that there's no reason if people were just focused on like doing the work and then you have so many people who are just taking those classes like you're talking about just so they can be on their resume just so they can be considered for parts and I don't know just for the longest time now I've been more of the mindset of like create something <laughs> you learn to write oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I feel like, especially now, like, you just can't even survive if you're just trying, like, unless you're super, super lucky or or born into it, you know, like, Mm -hmm. if you're already, your family's in it. But, but I think now, especially just with the digital age and everything, like, if you're not creating stuff, you're you're just not valuable. Like, nobody wants to work with someone. who's not not, like putting forth some sort of content you know like that's why a lot of stand-ups get shows before actors because they're they have stuff to work with they've got material they have story and a fan base
1: you know and you know and they know their persona they know they have a they have a lot of things they have a a thing as a persona and a thing as a writer and a thing as a, a public public figure that's the wrong term for it but just there's so much more going for you than if you're an actor. Actors get more work when the public knows them and there's something about them that is a hook for people to be able to market you. Stand ups are way more right. marketable because, Oh, that's the comic who does this kind of stuff. They know their persona. They know how to present that persona and there's a fan base for that person. Right.
0: And also I th- I just think it's great that like stand-ups when if, they can go in between jobs, you know, if they're not getting work as an actor, they go on the road or right. you know, it's just just so much smarter I think to have something that's like yours, you know, that you've created yourself. So
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. One of the like I I would say what made me learn this lesson was Goodwill Hunting because I was reading about how they how Ben Affleck and Matt Damon created that and why they created it and they were saying we the reason we hadn't written together again is because we had uh, created that so we could have work, and that yeah. sort of made a light bulb go off in my head of, "Oh, I' better learn to create stuff." And then I also yeah. realized that that's just me naturally as I, I like to make things.
0: Right, right.:
1: I think it's a really, really good point that you make.
0: Oh, thanks. Yeah, I just think it's more rewarding in the end because, you know, mm-hmm. then it's yours and you're more in control. And, and also what I like so much about stand-up is that you can do it anywhere. You know, it's mm-hmm. like it's like no one no one can tell you. you cause, because I grew up performing, I, I got sort of dependent on it. Like I don't know who I am if I'm not performing. Mm-hmm. And so I felt so lost not getting acting jobs. And so as soon as I started up, I'm like, oh, wait, you can just go somewhere and perform. Like, even if it's just five people, you're performing, Mm -hmm. you know, so and you can do it whenever you want. Wow. This is perfect.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really great that you've had that experience and and a really good uh, go of it for because you've been doing it four and a half years and with great management and great guidance, you've been able to really make some serious traction there. Thanks. Yeah, I've gotten some stuff. Yeah, I mean, I because we were talking earlier off air, like, I know you as a stand-up. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. that's how I know you. And you have been, you know, you've been on At Midnight as a stand-up, and you've had these sort of experiences. And then you've also been able to act in things like New Girl.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, you're in several other things. You've done, a, you've done a good bit of work for yourself, which is great. Uh, how did you, how long have you been acting, uh, like in, uh, you know, outside of Prairie Home Companion?
0: Um, well, I acted as a kid too. So I was you know, I did some, I did a little films and things when I was a kid. Then I took, and then I acted in high school. I did, um, you know, theater in high school. And then I, uh, I sort of stopped for a bit and I took a break and then I moved to New York and then, Um, I thought I wanted to be a cellist for a bit because I play cello and I was sort of heading in that direction. Mm. Um, And then I got into the San Francisco conservatory out in San Francisco and I flew back and I had started taking an acting class again. And so, and I really liked it and I was sort of torn, like which direction I should go in. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really like the teacher at San Francisco and I was sort of having all these doubts about it. And I sat next to this woman filmmaker on my way back and she was so interesting and cool and we talked the whole time and I think she had dated like the composer of all the Wes Anderson movies or something oh wow and, uh,
2: good composer had
0: all these yeah and then she was a filmmaker and, and at the end of the flight I just asked her I was like what do you think I should do the the music or the acting and she goes do the acting it's more fun
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so I was <it's> like okay <laughs> And then I just basically, you know, went to an acting school. I went to Atlantic Theater Conservatory for acting and uh, loved it. I, I just felt like suddenly, oh, I understand. Like with music, there were just certain classes I hated, and I also was bad at sight reading. So, mm. you know, I'd play the back of an orchestra, and I'd be faking playing for the first two weeks until I could figure out what <laughs> what the notes were.
1: Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, sight reading's pretty tough, yeah. even if you've, you know, like even if you're really trained in it it's uh it can still be pretty yeah. it's a tough skill aside from knowing how to play an instrument
0: are you a musician
1: no i have like all my best friends just about are and um i've heard them talk and i've i've kind of studied music just because i'm a nerd so i've read like a, a book about uh music theory and i just always ask them questions about stuff and uh, i was oh, actually cool. just talking to a couple of them earlier because one of them's in uh, he plays with adam craig the country singer and he was just talking to our other best friend about amps and all this all this stuff that it makes a lot of sense for musicians to talk about but then i'm like hey guys i want to know more about you know? like why
2: yeah. <laughs> why am
1: i interjecting i'm not a musician i just love music and uh, sort of dabbled in guitar but Uh, it, it's, uh, and I played saxophone in junior high, so I've had to, I know, at one point in my life I knew how to sight read, but I've heard my friends talk about sight reading and, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it feels to me like it's a separate thing. It's like, it takes such intuition almost.
2: It's a sort of
1: level of intuition of, I know what this is, just automatically, just, it's like reading hieroglyphics or something. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Um, and it's sort of a mathematical brain too yeah. that's good at it now, yeah. whereas I'm more creative and I'm better with words. And, and so I was just excited when I, you know, e- like even the most boring class in acting school was still really interesting to me, which was speech, mm-hmm. you know, like learning how to do accents and things like that. And It was sometimes kind of boring and technical, but if that was the most boring class, I was like very relieved because I still could at least understand it for the most part, you know?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You're a really inspiring and interesting person.
0: Oh, that's so nice to say.
1: (laughs) Oh, you're welcome. I mean, it's just, I didn't know all of this stuff about you, you know? I was like, Erica (laughs) wrote the stand up. And now I'm like, oh, oh, wow. What? Wait a minute. What? This too? (laughs) That's really cool. I've
0: I've failed at many, many things. (laughs) Well,
1: you know, they say, like, you learn so much with failure. So I think that's what it is. And and these are things that you've, uh, in a way, accomplished. I mean, I I honestly see people going for something and trying for something big, like saying, oh, I might want to be a cellist, so let me go do that. And uh, even if you walk away from it and say, like, oh, it's not for me or I'm not that great at it, there are so many people who didn't try to go for the thing that they wanted, and you did so to me that sounds like a an accomplishment, not a failure
0: oh that's that's a very positive viewpoint um, yeah
1: these i yeah, mean I'm looking yeah. at all these from as a as a listener I'm hearing you have done all of these wonderful things and all of these cool things and had these great experiences, and you know that to me is more rich than anything, you know, like somebody could have, uh, done one thing and just, you know, got their life set for them. But that to me is a little more boring.
0: Yeah. I mean, I thought that was what was going to happen with me. You know, I thought I would do something my whole life and it would just sort of fall into place. And then, but then I went on all sorts of tangents and weird paths and I guess that's how life works. (laughs) <laughs> not at all. I think, it, all is.
1: You, I, I think gonna, it is. Yeah. You know, I, 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 it's hard sometimes when you're the one living the life to take stock of it and just see like, here are yeah. all the things I've done. And you, cause your experience is so different than anyone else's. And if it went, if it deviated from the direction you wanted it to go, then it can be disappointing. But at the same time, yeah. like, there's so many successful people who've tried a bunch of different things. It's a good place to be if you are taking risks and challenges and you're still here to talk about it.
0: Yeah, it's kind of, you're right. And it's funny because I actually, like, I just had parents that are sort of the opposite of most parents, you know, where most parents are like, you know, get a, you're going to get a job, you'll go to college. Blah, blah. Mm-hmm. My parents were always sort of like into the, you just do what you love to do, find what you love to do. But but they, they didn't really give me the life skills you know, to do it. <laughs> They're just like, just do it, but how? We don't know.
1: Yeah, I know. That's um, the rub. Kind of, it's either you start with the plan B, and then you don't do the thing that you actually wanted to do, or you take too long to do the thing that you really want to do, like with in my case, or you go for the plan A, but then maybe you're not equipped enough <laughs> to right, really enact yeah. it.
0: Yeah, but they had good intentions with it, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's I,
1: I, that's encouraging in itself.
0: I do think that it's one of the most important things is to find is to do what you love to do for work because it just takes up so much of your life that it's like mm-hmm. people who hate their jobs. I'm just, I don't even know how they do it. Like, oh, yeah. I just hate my, you know, I just hate my life. And, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, maybe they're okay with money, but then then what happens? Is you get trapped in the money thing, where it's like I, I have friends who are lawyers and stuff, and it's like they buy the house and then they they have the kid and then all this stuff, and then it's like, well, well, yeah, how's your job? Well, I hate it, but it's yeah. fine, you know. Right? What, what you want, might want to go to do something else. Well, yeah, but now we have the house. It's like. It's like they get in over their heads with the money stuff to the point where they're trapped in their life, you know. And it's like, okay, that's your life.
1: <laughs> that's what I wonder sometimes when I see actors who have done a lot of good work and they're clearly good actors, but then they're in something that was obviously not going to be good, and I always wonder like how do they end up there? Like do they do they need the money? How could they possibly need the money? <laughs> like it's not
0: Well, I think that it it always looks more like actors have more options than they actually do. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah, I think unless in, in you're like t- total, like, you know, Tom Hanks or, you know, Meryl Streep or whatever. It's like, it's like, I think every actor goes to a, goes through a point where they're like, what if there, what if another script doesn't come, you know, yeah. what if, you know, like, you know, what if nothing else ha is happening? What if this is my ne- only option right now and I need right. to stay working. I stay busy. I mean, John Ham's in like some commercial right now. He was on Mad Men for you know, the yeah, entire he's Yeah, He's
1: in H and R Block. You know, someone else was talking about a friend of mine was mentioning that he's in H and R Block commercials and she was kinda like, What is going on? But you know yeah. I think those commercials are good. <laughs> like he's really funny. Yeah. You know? And
0: just, um it's so like Disorienting. I'm like, "What are you? Wait, what's the Matt? What's he doing there? Like, that's not him."
1: <laughs> well, you know, I said the same thing when J.K. Simmons won an Oscar. I said, "Well, I guess he's not going to be in those State Farm commercials anymore." And he's still in State Farm commercials because that's so that's probably good money. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. They, I mean, there's tons of money in commercials.
1: So. Yeah. yeah. So I I think the game has changed a lot. I think it is you know before it was a bad sign if you were doing commercials, and now it's kind of like, uh, ah, everybody's doing commercials. And it uh, was yeah. also a bad sign to go from movie to TV.
0: Right, and now that's different. You're right, there's yeah. really, there's there are no boundaries now. It's just like, whatever. Yeah.
1: The game has changed a ton, and I, what I do think is, is the same is you, you still have to be able to create something or provide something. It's It's better to be able to create than to do something. It's kind of like those... Uh, contestants on American Idol who maybe even won or they got in the top five, but then you don't hear from them and people will say, like, oh, I guess they weren't really that good of a singer. Well, maybe they were good singers, but if they aren't writing, Mm -hmm. then then they are already handicapped at being able to make it in the industry. Because if you look at most anybody who is a big name in music, they have some say in what they're writing and kelly clarkson is one of the top two most successful con- people to ever have ever been on that show and she writes songs so yeah. maybe that has something to do with
0: it yeah it's true it's
1: really being able to create i think is is uh such a positive thing to be able to do for your for your career if you want to be in this yeah. uh in this biz it's-
0: Cause I uh you know I've been producing my own show now, like I do a sort of like a variety show every month, um which I'm still trying to figure out exactly what it is, but I have music <laughs> and I have stand up and I've got sketch and I've got like all sorts of stuff in it, and it's it's been going pretty well um, yeah. but uh, it's a lot of work, you know it's definitely a lot of work and 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 to host it and produce it and book it like all that stuff it's just like oh my God. And then when I do it, I'm, like, so just relieved that it actually happens that I, I don't really enjoy it. And I was telling one of the guys in it, um, his name's Craig Lee Thomas, he, he's a writer. But I was like, oh, my God, I'm just, like, it's so much work, and it's so hard to produce a show. And he was like, yeah, you know what's a lot easier? Not doing things.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and what's the name of that show?
0: <laughs> um, It's called The Nightlight Comedy Show.
1: Okay. Yeah, it is. He's right. It is easier to just not do any of that stuff. And that's why so many people don't do it.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. and that, It kind of put things in perspective because I was like, yeah, he has a point. Like, It's like I could either do it or not do it. It's totally up to me, but I might as well do it because it's better than not doing it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it it goes back to what you were saying about getting in the trap of having to work or having to make money. It's people who don't like their job but it's where they are. So it's kinda like, okay, well, is this fulfilling enough for you? Is this what you want to be doing with yourself and it's just hard?
2: Right. And I, you know, yeah. and it's
1: fine for it to be hard. <laughs> that, yeah. that, that, it puts uh what do they say? It gives you experience, it gives you well I guess they say it puts hair on your chest, but that doesn't really make sense in this context. Uh it gives you character, <laughs> that's what they say. I hope that's
0: hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: you've gotten some really fun gigs uh that i am super jealous of like you've been on modern family you've been a new girl and you've been on comedy bang bang
0: oh yeah i had a very small part on it but i was on it
1: yes but you were on it yeah that's i i love the podcast and i really love uh like, just so many people are involved with Comedy Bang Bang and Scott Ackerman being one of the main ones that I love with that. So I, I'm just, like, super jealous of you for having <laughs> that
0: experience. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was it was cool because I was also on with Tom Rhodes, um, who was always jokes that he, that were related, even though we're not, and, <laughs> uh, and Andy Kimmler, who I love, too.
1: Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, good. and and he's also uh in the same managing you have the same management company as Andy Kindler, right? Yes. Yeah.
2: Yes. <laughs>
1: so what are the some of the things just to keep sustaining your stand up career uh and you, that you or and your management are doing just to kinda keep you out there and keep you fresh?
0: Um, I mean I do road work too. Like I've, you know, been doing mm-hmm. some stand up on the road and, and then I'll do commercials and um, and then, yeah, and then, you know, just pitching my own show, which would, the, is the long-term goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, festivals, like I'm doing Moon Tower in April and things like that.
1: Um, now, I, I imagine there are a lot of things that you're able to do because you're in L.A. to help maintain and push your stand-up and, obviously, acting career. Are there things that people who are not there yet, or, or maybe not even in New York yet, but people listening, they may want to have not necessarily the career that you can have, but they want to keep making their work in comedy. What are some things that they need to be consistent in in order to really see their dreams realized? Are there things that, as far as just creating work and preparing yourself, that they need to be doing?
0: I, I would just say get as good as possible. You know, I I for me, one of my... One of my challenges was that I uh, started in L.A., Mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of people saw me in the community when I was just starting out, you know, and I was really bad. And so it's hard to change people's perceptions, you know. It takes a little while. Like now I think I have with a lot of people. A lot of people are like, wow, you've gotten a lot better. Um, But, you know, you have to kind of – it's more of a struggle to change someone's point of view than, you know – If you're just proving yourself for the first time and you're already really good, it's like, oh, he's good, you know?
1: Yeah, that's a consistent thing I've heard about starting stand-up in L.A. Uh
0: Uh-huh, Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I would just say get as much stage time, too, because, you know, LA, it's harder to get stage time. Like, you get shorter sets here and mm-hmm. there's more competition. And, you know, just do as much as you possibly can. Get as much, you know, original, smart material as you can. Mm-hmm. You know, really try to find your voice and figure out, like, what you're about and why you're different than all the other comics out there.
1: Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Good. And when would you say it is time for somebody to make a big move if they should, you know, choose to?
0: Um, You mean, like, if someone is just starting or, like... Well, if someone general. has
1: been sort of... Uh, I mean, not necessarily a time frame, but what would you say is the place that they need to be at as a creator and a performer in order to be ready for moving to an L.A.?
0: Oh, like I, even though I said what I just said, that was just assuming that they weren't in L.A. or New York, but I would say don't wait to be ready, like get to New York or L.A. as soon as you can, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of pro- people like think, oh, I have to be ready to move there, or I'm scared, or, you know, it's like you're never going to really feel ready, and also you're going to start making connections in the place that matters mm-hmm. as soon as you get there. You can't really make those connections when you're not in L.A. or New York, you know, and and it's just it you can't accomplish half of what you can if you're in L.A. or New York, you know, just networking, meeting the right people and and uh, getting seen by the right people and being on the right path. I just think it's like you shouldn't wait. You just do it.
1: Yeah, that's you know, I was one to think, well, let me get some of the green off of me before I go somewhere like L.A. or New York. Um, So that was I was one of those people that it wasn't that I wanted to mentally feel like I was ready but I just wanted to stage-wise be, be more ready. But do you think that's not really as necessary?
0: Well, no, I don't think it's really necessary. I mean, I was just saying, like, it is, I mean, wherever you start, where, wherever you start, it's going to be hard to change people's mindsets about you mm-hmm. if their depression isn't great. Um, but, you know, you've got to start somewhere. And it might mm-hmm. as well be where things are happening. That's mm-hmm. all. But if you're yeah. not going to start, you know, if you're not going to start in New York or L.A., I would just say get as good as you possibly can before you get there. But, I, you know, I would never say wait, wait until you feel ready because uh, you're never going to really feel ready.
1: Yeah, you're certainly not. Uh, there's always going to be a reason not to do something.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's the other thing is, like, I just hear so many people saying things like, um, well, yeah, I think I'll, you know, uh, where, uh, no, this is what I hear a lot, is people from smaller towns and stuff being like, what's a good transition city to move to before I move to New York and L.A.? I'm like, what? Why? Just move to New York or L.A.? Like, you're yeah. already moving. You That's
1: kind of how from? I feel, too. I've And I've said that, I think, yeah. in a previous episode of don't do, like, a, a couple of cities before you go to the <laughs> one that'll really make a difference. Just go ahead yeah, and go. Like, yeah. it's one thing if... Like, I have some friends who went, who came from Greenville, South Carolina, went to Atlanta, and then, you know, would want to go right. to New York. And that is maybe fine because Atlanta is a place where you can really do well for yourself and, and get really good and not be far from home if you need to stay close to home. And then when right. uh, the time is right, go to New York. But, I mean, I also know people who went to a couple of different places And then uh, stayed there for so long, and it was kind of, why didn't you just go straight to New York?
0: Yeah, exactly. And then before you know it, you're 45 years old, and (laughs) you didn't do your dream, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, just do it, I'd say.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it's, listen, I know from experience, because I'm experiencing it now, that it's scary. But it is just better to go ahead and do it.
0: Oh yeah, just don't over, I think people overthink things, you know, like I've always oh, been yeah. very anious and impulsive, which has gotten me in trouble in some ways, <laughs> but in some ways it's gotten me to LA and gotten me things that, you know, it's like, I didn't even know when I got to LA, I didn't even know how to drive. Like I, because I've lived in New York for- before. Oh, and well. so I LA and I didn't know how to drive, but I was, I was like, but I, but I knew I had to learn. So I basically just taught myself how to drive again, even though the only place I had ever driven was to my high school.
2: Mm-hmm. And here
0: I am freeway. And then I was like calling my friend being like, how do I make, wait, do I have the right away at a light if I'm making a left turn? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so I had, you know, it was really hard when I first moved here, but I just kind of did it and didn't think too much about it, you know? Yeah. And, uh,
1: Please don't um, get in a car wreck.
0: Yeah, no. <laughs> now, I'm a good, now I'm a good driver. <laughs> good,
1: good, good, good. That's good. <laughs> well, is there a process that you really enjoy about your performance? Is it uh, the writing aspect that you like the most? Or is it trying to figure out how to put together stand-up sets or, or shows? Or is it uh, like working on the show that you're working on now?
0: I think I just love everything about the process, which is why I like stand-up so much because, like I, like, I like writing and I like performing and I like seeing it come together and I like experimenting and I like, you know, figuring out why something doesn't work and why something does work and it's kind of like a puzzle. And um, But, you know, obviously it's great when it goes well. But I, I just – I think I like everything about the process, which I think is why people – like when you know you're doing the right thing is like when you like the, it for the process and not just if it goes well, you know? Right. So, yeah.
1: Right. That's um, really good.
0: But I mean, performing is my main thing. I love performing the most. So I'll say that part, especially if it's like a bigger audience, you know, the bigger, the better for me. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you got at a young <laughs> age, a, a taste for the big audience with Prairie Home Companion.
0: Yeah. Exactly. It's a lot to live up to. It's kind of like, oh man, you know, will I ever get to that point again? (laughs) I don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, Erica, this has been a really fun and I think inspiring chat because I know it sounds like it'd be easy for the listener to say, oh gosh, but I didn't start young. I didn't start at 10 doing this really professional thing and then doing these other professional things and living in LA and working on these big shows or anything. But I've, to me, the thing that I'm getting from you, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that people should go out and work and just do the work and create things for the sake of creating things and doing the work. And it doesn't matter that they didn't do it as soon as it's uh, 10 years old. It's always going for it is the big thing.
0: Right. And also like like not being afraid of failure. You know, like this show mm-hmm. that I'm doing is a good example of that because the la- I had one show where I actually had to cancel it. It was really embarrassing. I had to, I had, um, I had booked a, a job and I was working on set and I couldn't get to the to the show and mm. uh, I guess because of that, some people didn't come and I al- I had a guest host and uh, I also um, didn't prom- I didn't have time as much time to promote it and so only like five people showed up. So I had to cancel it mm. and you know it was pretty. I was pretty upset about it and embarrassed. Like I had Dana Gould headlining and it was, you know, Mm -hmm. I had to tell him, sorry, but, um, but, but then, you know, I took two months off to sort of regroup and try to think, how can I make this better and and more fun and how can I promote it better and be more efficient and everything. And, um, I got my friend to help me produce it. And then, you know, the last one we did went really well and we were sold out and, had standing room only, and it was, like, a really good, you know, I don't know, It's just cool because I felt like, oh, you know, I went from, like, totally failing to, like, mm-hmm. oh, total success, you know, just after a few months. Yeah, so, you know, and there's um,
1: fear. Fear is an understandable emotion to have, but that, that can't be the reason for not going through it because any of this stuff that we're talking about is going to involve risk. I mean, if somebody was starting a business in their town, which maybe sounds like the safe choice. The business could the business could fail. That's a risk.
0: Oh yeah. So yeah, just basically. like Yeah.
1: Yeah. So just like with that, you really have to still make the choice to go through with it or not and you know the fact that it could fail is not a reason not to go through it.
0: Yeah, and like I think there's like this weird side of me that even if I like have a bad show, I still enjoy it somehow, you know? And I think that like that's like when you know when you know you love something, it's when you can like fail at it and still be like, "Oh, but I still had fun."
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: somehow. Part of yeah, part of it was horrible, but part of it was like, "Oh, I still really, you know, it was still somewhat rewarding and I still learned something and I'm growing from it." And so I think that, like you know, people are so result-oriented nowadays. It's like they forget oh yeah, to be like, let's like go. What what what's the process like? What do you what do you like about the doing of it? Not the like getting rewards for it or getting accolades or getting, you know, whatever it is, followers.
1: Right. <laughs> and, uh, oh gosh. Yeah.
0: You know, yeah. Just do things for the sake of doing it more. That's what I would I say. I
1: totally agree, yeah. it's. I have seen people, particularly on social media, where obviously having a fan base helps you in your career. So if you're going to do stand-up, having a lot of followers can help you get management or something like that. Or if you're a oh, band, yeah. having a lot of followers will help you get uh, some attention so that you can move forward in your career. So that's a good thing. Yeah. But there's some people who are putting a lot of time, money, and effort into getting followers or getting their tweets or whatever in front of people so it can get a lot of likes. And at the end of the day, there's no other thing that they're trying to do that for. They're not trying to progress oh. a career. They're not trying to parlay that that fan base into something. They just want to have success in going through gaining a fan base. And right. yeah. that sort of stuff I don't get. Because it's kinda like, Oh well, are you, you're writing this stuff, is is that not the thing that you're trying to get out of this? Or is it like why are you trying to putting so much effort into creating a fan base when you're not trying right, to get yeah. a, a deal yeah. out of it? Yeah,
0: it's kind of a shallow way of looking at things. It's kinda like you don't there's no substance there, it's just uh
1: Right. It's, it's just kinda
0: like lose it something.
1: Yeah, it's I mean I could understand it if it's oh, once I have all of these people paying attention to me, then I can start selling the product. Like I would love to have uh, so many uh, uh, likes on a YouTube page that you can start making good money off of your YouTube page. Like that's that's the benefit maybe is an avenue of income. <laughs> but um, yeah, when there's no other reason than to get likes that um that i wonder about like why would you put so much effort into something when all you're trying to do is get likes
0: yeah no it's it's meaningless pretty much at this point
1: yeah yeah i, I just wonder about that um well what is something now that we've gotten to the end of the interview here what is something that we could create together that uh we uh, i don't know what we've been talking about that necessarily has been about process but um what is something that we could do it could be anything really It could just be a, a little game that we play or something oh
0: um hmm some sort of podcast well you already have your podcast
2: but yeah like the but,
0: idea of a
1: but you do um, have you know okay here's an avenue and an idea that i i'm, I'm liking so you have this show that you're doing, that you've created. And what's the, what are the elements of the show? So you, you had Dana Gould was going to be, so you obviously have stand-ups on there. What are, what are some of the aspects of the show?
0: Um, it's just like a variety show. So I had this past when I had also Danny Zucker on it, who's one of the producers of Modern Family and mm-hmm. writers. And, uh, and I did an interview with him. So there's an interview, there's music, there was a sketch. And then
1: stand up. Very cool. Okay, so if we were going to create something together, if I was going to make a show with you, one of the things—and I mentioned this earlier—but one of the things that really strikes me about you is the variety. It's all these, all these different things. And yeah. You've played cello, so it's like a classicalness to you. But then there's also uh, uh, all the—I don't want to say wholesomeness, but just the. <laughs> <laughs> But there is something sort of unique about you in that you've done all of these different things and you've been in all these different walks of life. So I'd want to try to figure out something that utilizes that really well. Mm. And maybe it could be a podcast. Maybe it could be a podcast about, you know, maybe one week we're talking to uh, an actor that you've worked with and then another week it could be like a classical pianist or something about uh just you know what they do and how they do it and we can kind of get them to display it
0: yeah i had an idea also which was something like oh no i think someone has that like someone already has this idea where it was like Talking about your worst failure, you know, because so many so many podcasts are about people talking about their like successes, you know. That (laughs) I thought it would be interesting to talk about, you know, something that doesn't go right.
1: (laughs) You know, it does seem like there is a podcast like that. Is it Will Hines? I think think Will Hines has a podcast.
0: Like someone has it, yeah. I thought someone had it. Um, Okay, so we won't do that. Hmm. Yeah, I like the idea of having like a variety, you know, variety people Uh. interviewing different people i guess but i what if we did a variety
1: podcast because i also like the idea of writing sketches and um with your experience with prairie home companion and my uh childhood joy of listening to old radio broadcasts (laughs) like uh like the shadow or or whatever that would be really fun
0: yeah it'd be cool to do like a radio play
1: yeah okay drop all that other nonsense (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah let's do
1: a radio play a radio play that'd be super fun what would we call it what would our thing be like what is the if you could describe yourself in uh, a couple of words um like like earlier i said um you're energetic and and fun and bright i said like you're you're bright and fun and uh like that was again off air but what is uh, (laughs) how would you describe yourself you know yourself better
0: than um, I do. Yeah, I'd say quirky and. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: And creative and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, sort of a, a cynical optimist.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah. our our uh, podcast, radio play. I like the cynical optimist. It could have this just like fun energy to it, because I think I think. I don't know that's just what I get from you. Um but then the cynical optimist. So so I would make you the the star of it. You'd be the main the main one and uh maybe it is like in a town where uh, everyone comes to you for advice all the time but your advice your advice is uh is cynical yet optimistic.
0: Oh yeah, that's cute.
1: And then there's all this like, like that. stuff that happens in the town but you're always the cynical optimist you go have coffee with the same friend uh every morning at eight and she's talking about you two are talking about whatever's going on in your lives but you're always the cynical optimist
0: i like it i think that's cute
1: cool awesome what would we i guess we could call it the cynical optimist
0: yeah i actually think that's a good title (laughs)
1: yeah awesome awesome there it is yay thanks so much for doing the podcast erica
0: Thank so much for having me,
1: Jason. Yeah, this was a really good talk, so, and I really did feel, like, inspired to go out and, and work and do stuff.
0: Oh, good. Well, that's, that's good.
1: I hope you enjoyed that chat as much as I did. I think she's really great and fantastic and inspiring, and I think someone who's going out there and just trying new things and really stretching themselves, I th- I, that's really impressive to me, and I think... That's the thing we all should be doing is trying new things at all times. It doesn't matter how old or young you are, you can always try new things. And she is out there doing it. She is going for it. And that's that's really cool. That's really cool. So I hope you were inspired by her. If this is your first time listening because you are a fan of hers, then you already know how great she is. This was not a surprise to you, but I do hope you are still enjoying this episode and still inspired by it. If you want to find out more about Erica Rhodes because you don't know much about her other than this episode, you can go to her website, Erica Rhodes Comedy. That's R-H-O-D-E-S. And you can also find her on Facebook at Erica Rhodes Comedy and on Twitter at Erica Rhodes she has a show coming up in Los Angeles. It's her nightlight comedy show. It's going to be at Open Space at 8 p.m. on March 27th. So do check that out. And you also can find out more about the podcast at There It Is Pod on Twitter and Facebook, and thereitispod.com. And you can find me on Twitter as well if you want at Jason Far Jokes. Well, next week is a fun episode. I will be in. North Carolina for the North Carolina Comedy Arts Festival. And that's what the episode will be. So hopefully we'll have some friends pop in and some nice surprises. We'll see you then. Until next time, be good to each other.
0: The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Crater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.